If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 4. That's where we'll spend our time. We're in a series called Encountering Jesus. We've looked over the last couple weeks so far at a few different places where Jesus has these encounters with people. And so uh, we started this and we called it uh, the wedding, right? John chapter 2. We looked at that encounter. And then we looked at the night, John chapter 3, where he visits with a, a guy named Nicodemus. And now, maybe just a few days, a week or two afterwards, we're at the well. And Jesus will be encountering another lady, a Samaritan lady. And you got to wonder, like, why is this passage here? I mean, really, if you look at the Gospel of John, there's really only like a half dozen encounters that Jesus has with specific people, right? We've looked at a couple. There's a few more. But, like, why this one? If you keep in mind, the last verse in the book of John was that verse that's like Jesus did so much. He did so many teachings that all the books in the world couldn't contain what he did. But why is this story here? A woman in Samaria around a well. Like there's no miracle that happens, right? There's no miracle that's done. It's just this dialogue. It's teaching. He starts with this lady at the well, and, and they, they have a dialogue, and I don't think she comprehends most of it, but then she gets a lot, she kind of hears more and more, and pretty soon she goes and tells the town, and the whole town comes, and they hear. In the end, they believe. The last verse here that we didn't read, but it is verse 42, and it talks about that they all believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So how does this story unfold? If it's, uh, I don't think it's by accident that it's right following chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. And, and maybe it happened chronological, you know, you had that and a couple weeks later it was this, maybe it was that. But really, these two stories are, are really important to see side by side. As you see some kind of similarities, some differences with that. But let's look at these things. I mean, Nicodemus came at night, right, kind of secretive, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, quietly. He comes at night and she, this is right at noon. Right? For all the world to see. He's named, he has a name, Nicodemus. She doesn't. We don't know her name. She's just the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. That's how we know her. He was Jewish. She was a Samaritan. Right? He was a religious, moral Pharisee. She was a, I would say, religious, immoral sinner. When you hear kind of her whole story. He was proper. She was unproper. But here's where it gets really significant. That Jesus is talking about salvation. He's, he's doing evangelism. To him, Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. But to her, he totally changes it. He says, you need living water. I mean, born again, living water. What? Born again, like he told Nicodemus, he says, you know, you, you have been trying to attain, you know, God's attention. You have been working really hard at following God's law, but you got to leave that all behind. you got to be born again like a little baby who has nothing in this world to bring before God. That's what you need. But to her, he says, no, quite the opposite. You have been kind of trying to get out of God's gaze. You have been running from him. What you need is living water. You're trying to fulfill the, the longings of your heart, and I've got, I have the gift. It's the living water. See, Jesus doesn't have this one, you know, one approach to evangelism. Uh, oftentimes we think of it. 
we got to like, what's the right way to do it? What's the right verses? What's the order? What we see here, Jesus is doing evangelism and does it totally different. He uses two different pictures from being a born again to living water. And finally, he, uh, he believes, and we have evidence of that as we read the scriptures, but he's very quiet. It unfolds very slowly, yet she believes and she goes and tells the whole city. And so these two pictures, I think, are important to look at. And it's, it's like, it's God's grasp. Like, first of all, there is nobody who is too good for salvation. There's nobody who's too good for the gift that, ha- that God has. You could be as religious and as spiritual as you want, but you still need Jesus. But on the other side, with her here in chapter 4, there's nobody beyond God's reach. There's nobody too far for salvation. So nobody's too high, nobody's too far. And so together, as we look at these two images, we see God really touching the heart. He's coming to the heart of the individual. And that's what we see here. Now, the setting is at a well. Okay, uh, we'll unfold this as we get going. But when, I, here's what I want you to get. Like, I, think through your Old Testament. Think through your scriptures. Like if you hear a well story, what comes to mind? So in other words, is this kind of just a, you know, a random chance thing that he's at a well, you know, like at the water cooler or whatever? Or is there some significance to it? And I would say I think there's some significance Think back to that first well story that you might think about with Abraham, right? Abraham had a son, right? Isaac, he needed a wife, and he just, uh, Abraham's like, ah, there's no good lady around here, so go back home. He sends his, his servant up, uh, up north back to his home, and his servant arrives where? At a well, and he prays, and we, we did this sermon earlier, uh, in, I think in the spring or the summer, but remember, he, he prays, and he says, hey, Lord, would you... Um, but to the lady that I ask, hey, can, you, can I have some water? That she would give me water and water for all of my camels, which is an amazing feat, right? Uh, camels drink a lot of water and all that. And, but all that happens at a well, and pretty soon he does. He sees a girl, he says, can I have water? And she says, well, here's some water, and let me feed all of your, your camels too. And he says, that's the woman for Isaac, and that was Rebecca. So they get married, and God's blessing through the world continues from Abraham to Isaac. Now a generation later, there's another well story. Remember this one? uh, Jacob, he's fleeing from his brother. Goes back to the same region, probably a different well, but he shows up at a well. And who does he see there? Rachel, who he loves. All right, And, and that story unfolds right there. They get married, and they have children. And the blessing continues to the world. We see another one, right? This one is another in another foreign land. What do all three things have in common? A foreign land. Now this one is Moses. A couple hundred years later, he has fled Egypt because he killed an Egyptian and Pharaoh is looking for him. So he runs. He runs to Median. And he's out there. And who does he see? He sees a priest with seven daughters. One of those seven daughters becomes his wife. The blessing continues. Now, here's Jesus, again, in a land far away, not your normal, not Jerusalem. And Jesus is at a well. And who shows up? A lady. What do you think would continue? Knowing what we just covered through the Old Testament, a reader might say, well, here's the story. Here's how it's going to unfold. 
but hold on to that. We'll get to that. But let's just see. We see there's something very significant with these well stories. But let's just see where this one unfolds, shall we? Today during our outline, we'll kind of look at the well. We'll look at the water. We'll look at worship. And then we'll look at the witness. Okay? So that's how we'll, we'll move through our time together. So first, let's look at the setting, this well. All right? Jesus here is in this intentional land, land far away, Samaria. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's breaking through ethnic, racial, social, gender barriers to open up the kingdom to these people. Okay? Nobody is outside of his grasp. And he's in a very uncomfortable place, but this is where he brings the gospel story. So right here in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. So it starts, he's down in Judea area, he's doing some baptisms, right? But now he's going up to Galilee, and he had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go? Was his CPA there? Did he have a really important meeting? No, it was the Lord leading him. God is saying, you've got to go through here. This is going to be an intentional stop on your way to Galilee. So he goes to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So kind of like historical landmark kind of thing. This is a special place. goes back, you know, for generations and generations. Jesus was tired from his journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples weren't there. It says that they went in town to go get some food. The Samaritan woman kind of looks at him like, uh, This is a little bit different, a little awkward. This is not kind of how things normally go. And she says, Well, how can you ask me for a drink? Because we don't associate together. This is not normal. Why is it not normal? Let's talk a little bit about Samaria. Some of you... Uh, maybe if you've been in the church for a while, you kind of know the, the, the story of the Samaritans. But they, they kind of hold this curious middle ground between Jews and Gentiles, right? Uh, Jews are on this side, Gentiles, everybody who's not Jewish. But the Samaritans are kind of right in the middle. So long story going back to like the Solomon days, you know, when there was one kingdom and after Solomon there became two kingdoms. The, the south where Jerusalem was and the northern kingdom where all the other um, uh, uh, Israelites were. But the king said, he's like, I don't want my people going to another country to go to the temple. I don't want them going down to the south. So we're going to create a, a temple up here that they can come to. So they had that, the two temples, and then fast forward, the Assyrians come in and kind of take the land of northern uh, Israel, and they, they take some people out, they put some people in, and as we fast forward through that time, these are the Samaritans. They were people who were originally Jewish, but now they have some Gentile blood in them, and so they called them the Samaritans. So by the time Jesus comes, the regular Jews did not like them at all. That's the whole purpose of the story of the Good Samaritan, right, that Jesus tells later. They were enemies. Good Jewish people, if they had to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, would go around Samaria. They would not go through it. They didn't want to get, uh, you know, in danger of becoming unclean or bumping into somebody or eating food that was unclean. So it was the custom to go around, but Jesus is like, I'm going there. Can imagine the disciples not very comfortable at this moment. Right? They had spent their whole life going around it. They're like, we've never been here. Grown up this whole time, we've never been here. But Jesus says, all right, I'm going to sit by this well. I'm going to send you guys in the town to get some food. How many disciples need to go into town to get some food? Not all of them, but Jesus sends them all. 
It's important for them. I can imagine how uncomfortable they are, kind of, you know, afraid to bump into people. You could just sense the awkwardness that they probably had at this time. But while they're doing that, the focus is here on Jesus at the well. And this lady comes up. And he asks, he's like, hey, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink from your water bottle? <laughs> Sounds awkward now if someone said that to you. Hey, I see you have a hydro flask. Mind if I have a sip? Um, and that's what it was to her, too. Like, uh, this, is, this isn't like how I thought this was going to I was just going to avoid you. I thought you would avoid me. You're talking to me, and you're asking me for a drink from my, my bucket. Like, this is weird. You see, later on, he tells the disciples, he's like, this is the work that I do. This is, this is like a feast for me. I'm doing the work of God. And he is bringing the gospel story to her. And so this is something that he's enjoying but he shows this lady, who she thought would probably he just ignore her, that he's looking at her. And he asks, he asks for some water. I was thinking how this might be preached back in 1950 in, let's say, Montgomery, Alabama, you know, in the South or something like that. What would it preach like in a white church back then? And how they might apply this. Remember, back then they would have their whole city. Uh, Plumbing was built on this having two different systems, you know, a drinking fountain for uh, white people and for black people. And how might they, back in the 50s, have preached this sermon? Would they tell the white congregants to go and drink out of the other fountain or do things like that? I, I don't know. I don't know how they'd preach it. But how would we preach it today? Because as much as things have changed, a lot hasn't changed. And so for us, what might that look like? Like, who are the people that, are, that we think that are just outside the reach? That we, you know, we, might, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we'd say, like, mm, they're, they're kind of too far for me to share the gospel with. They, they would never believe, right? Whether it's, like, you know, in that situation, like racism, you know, racist people. Maybe it's, um, you know, people that are either politically or socially different, whether conservative or liberal or, you know, whatever that looks like. You know, those people are like, oh, they would never, you know, they're too far gone. Maybe it's the LGBTQ community, um, trans, drag, you know, where you, you think like, oh, that, no, no, that's, that's too far. Like, I, you know, make me uncomfortable. I think for us as a church, we've got to start going there. Like, it, I mean, if we're going to apply this the way that Jesus says, I think we need to really push ourselves with that. Like, we can apply it like the Pharisees, and they would say, um, you know, those, those people, that's too far. Like, you know, my neighbors, people like me, that's, that's who the gospel's for. If we apply it like that, we are applying it like a Pharisee. But if we're going to apply it like Jesus, we've got to go there and say, there are people here that seem too far. Like this girl. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's been married five times. She's living with her boyfriend. In that idea, like, that is like pressing the limits for a good Jew. I don't think the gospel came for that kind of a person. You might say, hey, I don't have anybody like that in my life. I don't know them. Maybe. Personally, but I, I'd say you interact with them. I mean, if you ever go to a coffee shop like Starbucks or if you ever have, uh, go to a restaurant and have somebody serve you, they, that might be them. And how are you going to look at them? Are you going to look at them like, you know, I can't. 
They're, they're too past the gospel. The gospel's not for them. Or are you going to look at them in love? Like Jesus probably looked at her and said, the gospel is for you. For you. It's for all people. There's nobody outside of God's reach. So this stretches us a little bit, right? I, I hope it does. I hope it stretches us outside of what our comfortable little zone is for who the gospel is. And remember that the gospel is for all people. Let's get a little uncomfortable, okay? So that's the well. Let's look at the water. Uh, Jesus asked for uh, some water, for a sip. And she's like, "Uh, this is weird, kind of not what I was expecting. I don't know if she ever gave him a sip during this whole time. But um, it continues. It says, Jesus answered here, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with. And the well's deep. How are you going to get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and even drank from it himself? Like his lips touched this water. And so his sons and his livestock. Then Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's nothing special. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Mm. All right, so he says, uh, the woman says, I can't give you a, a drink that's improper. And he says, well, if you knew who I was, you would probably be asking me for water and I would give you living water. And she's confused. It's like, I don't see any water on you. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this water? It's the same thing that Nicodemus said when, when Jesus says, you got to be born again. And he's like, how is that even possible? I'm a grown man. I can't, that can't happen. It's the same thing. She's like, how, how are you going to give me living water? You don't have any water around here. And he says, he kind of has this kind of thing like, you must be pretty sure of yourself because do you know who you are? Like, you think you're better than Jacob who gave us this well? And he says, I can satisfy your thirst. I can satisfy your longings. I can give you eternal life. And that's where she's like, well, then I want it. I I, I don't want to come back here again. I don't want to be thirsty again. This would really be convenient for me. If you had such water, I'd be interested How does he describe this water? Remember, he says it's a gift. It's a gift of God. This is the gift of God for you. He says it's living water. He says if you receive this water, he he describes it like this. It's like springs of water welling up into eternal life. Just think that. That's a beautiful picture. This water would be for you like springs of water welling up inside of you into eternal life. For some of you who are like really astute with your Old Testament, you remember like in, remember the um, Garden of Eden? Remember how that was watered? It didn't have rain coming down. It had springs coming up, water coming up and watering the land that way. He says the same thing. You drink this living water. It's, it's coming up within you. This is a beautiful picture of a flourishing life connected to that Garden of Eden that's coming up within us. This is not just something just to satisfy your taste buds. This satisfies your life. 
the longings of your life. She says, I want this. I want this. And then what does he say? He's, this is where it like, takes like a left-hand turn, kind of like a non sequitur, you know? He says, okay, if you want this, go get your husband and come back. What? Where did that come from? Is this only for like married couples? You have to be like married to have this kind of water? It seems awkward, but um, it's really intentional. Jesus is putting his finger on, on the need. We find out a little bit later where, you know, she, about her, her marital history. Not just one marriage and a divorce, not two. She's had five marriages. We don't know anything about it. Did they end in divorce? Did the person die? We don't know. But that's a lot of marriages. Back then, it's a lot of marriages now. She's living with her boyfriend. And Jesus is saying, go get your husband. She's like, ah, that's the problem. I'm not married. He says, yeah, but that's, that's not the issue. What it is, it's your longing. We all have longings. And we try to fill them different ways. And for her, she was trying to fill this longing for love through relationships. And it wasn't working out very well, was it? And Jesus is going to give the good news. He's going to talk about, he's talking about eternal life. But to get to the good news, you've got to get to the real news, the reality, the sin. She was a very worshipful person. She had, you know, she knew the scriptures, but yet she was avoiding those things and living uh, in a way that was not honoring God. And God gets to the point of that. He says, I'm getting to the, your longings. You all have longings too. And we have these. We have longings for love. Right? And God says, here's how you get it. You take care of these longings through this marriage, through this relationship. But so many people look outside the marriage. Right? With affairs or pornography or living together. Whatever it is. Like, that's what he's talking about. These longings. Don't go out there to find it. Come to me. I'll show you how you're, you're loved. We have longings for life. You know, we want to have a great life. You know, the best life. We want to look good. We want to feel good. And our bodies and our houses and cars or whatever, they can become gods to us. That becomes the longing that we long for. But Jesus says, don't, that's not it. I'll give you life. I'll show you love. I'll give you life. I think today, what do we look for? We long for Identity, especially in our younger generation. Looking for identity, who we are, who we're created to be, what makes me happy, what's my purpose. And we kind of make up these identities. Jesus is saying, find your identity in me, a child of God, loved, beloved. And so he's addressing these longings that we have. And he goes right to the right to the heart of her. And she, he talks about this, uh, her marriage. Jesus is the one who can satisfy that. Only him. Only him. Bring your longings, whether it's life, love, identity, whatever it might be, bring it to him. He will satisfy. So we talked about the well. We talked about the water. Let's go to worship here. In verses 17, 18, I talk about this husband, and he says, yeah, you're right. You're not married. You've had five. You're living with your boyfriend, just like you said. Look in verse 19. He says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> kind of like, okay, I got it. Nobody else knows these things. How do you know it? You must be somebody special. And to me, I think what she does, she now she changes the subject. Like, getting a little personal. Let's change the subject. So she said this, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors, 
worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's not even a question. You're just kind of saying, like, you're a prophet. You're from Jerusalem. You're, you're Jewish. Uh, you guys worship there. We worship here. And I'm like, and, you know. But hear what he does. He doesn't go chase back. like, ah, nope, let's get back to the sin. Let's get back to the sin. Don't try to get out of this. He goes with her, and I, I think what he says is more important than the sin. That sounds weird, but look what he says, like what he's talking about. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, that salvation is from the Jews that comes through a guy named Jesus Christ. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Do you hear that? They're the kind of the worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So he says some powerful things. Have you ever wondered why we don't, we as Christians don't like go on pilgrimages to special like holy sites? I mean, like, some people go to Mecca. Some people go to Ganges River for these pilgrimages. Like, why do we as Christians, why do we not do that? Well, it's because of these words right here. Because of these words right here, it's, it's like not imperative that for us to have salvation, we have to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple. Like, that doesn't matter. My wife and I, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be going to Jerusalem this next year. Um, Israel, I'm looking forward to that. But it's not on a pilgrimage. It's not to, like, attain salvation or anything like that. But Jesus says, like, we don't, we don't have to do that because it's just, a time is coming. It's now here. This is a, talking about himself and about the, his death, the resurrection. It is not, doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is you worship the Lord the spirit and truth. He kind of addresses who to worship and how to worship. He says, you're going to worship your father. Why does he say father? I think it's because she's already used that word a few times. She says, our father, Jacob, he gave us as well. Our fathers used to worship on this mountain and that mountain. He says, that's great. You're in touch with all that. But here's, I want you to worship my father. And when you use the word father, it means that there are children that you, a Samaritan woman, you can worship your father. You're his child. So it doesn't matter where you worship there, but worship in spirit and truth. The whole, you, you can read the rest of this to kind of talk about what that looks like, but you, we come to Christ through the Holy Spirit. We learn that through with Nicodemus. Jesus Christ, he calls himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The God's word is, is the truth. So worshiping him like that, not in a location, that's not what's important, but as we worship him in our heart, so we can worship him in these cities, in the neighborhood, in this church, right here. We don't all have to go to one place, some significant place. It's now, it's spread out, it's around the earth, it's in the church, which is everywhere. Kind of cool. I think all this stuff kind of confused her because she says in verse twenty. Five, she says, the woman said, okay, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain this. Probably better than you can. <laughs> you know, that's what she's getting at. Like, I don't get this, but he'll explain it. 
And that's when he says, he declared. He didn't just say, didn't, he says, I declared. He declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Think about that. This is the first time in the book of John that Jesus is making a declaration that he's saying, I am the Messiah. And it wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't to Nicodemus. It was in Samaria to this woman. To her. He says, I'm the Messiah. That's huge. Huge. That he made that announcement here to her, to her alone. It tells you that nobody is outside the grasp of God, right? Nobody. He's going to, John, throughout the book, we won't get into it in this sermon series, but he will go through great lengths explaining that he is God, that he is right, the bread of life, the light, right, um, the, the vine, the good shepherd, the door, the bread. He will, he will unpack that as well, but it all starts here. Who God is and what he's come. Remember that? He says, this is the kind of person the Father seeks. The person who worships in the Spirit truth. That's who God seeks. See, I think you look at like all these religions in the world, and it's all about a man telling others, saying, this is how you can find God. How you can find him. You find him here. You do these things and you'll find God. But this is totally different. This is God coming down and saying, I'm finding you. Our God finds you. And says, here's you worship me in spirit and truth. Totally different. And he shows that by going to Samaria. And look at how it wraps up. This is a witness. This event changed her life. Changed her life. She just came to get some water. Her life was changed here. It says, then in verse, we'll skip to 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many, of the, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You see how she shared and how she witnessed she went out like she couldn't keep it to herself she went out to this town probably a town that she was a little bit on the you know she was kind of an outcast right five five husbands and all that wasn't really like the pillar of society right she's kind of the outcast but she went back in this town and the town says all right well we're up i don't i don't know if they had nothing else to do nothing on tv or whatever that it was but they all came out they came out and they they heard this and then they said you've got to stay don't leave don't leave stay and he stayed two days I would love to know what those two days look like. But you know what didn't happen? No miracles. I don't think there's any healings. There's no record of that. He just talked. And he shared. And they believed. They believed because of his words. They just took him. Hear what he said? They believed. 
Here's your homework. If you want some homework, who likes extra credit? I know some of you out there. Okay, good. Um, Read the rest of this chapter. Read the rest of chapter 4. Because he's going to go to Galilee. He's going to be around the Jews. And they're going to ask for him to do a, a miracle. And there's this line in here where he says, You people, you'll only believe if you see a sign. You'll only believe if there's a miracle. So he does a miracle and they believe. But the Samaritans didn't get that. They didn't ask for a miracle. They didn't say, hey, show us a miracle so like, now we can like, validate if this is real, if you're really the Messiah. They just took him at his word. Probably very refreshing for Jesus to be able to speak, to share. People received, they believed, and they made this first declaration before the Jews. You are the Savior of the world. As we started earlier, we said Jesus stands on the long line of these men who find themselves at a well, right? Abraham's servant found himself at a well, got uh, a wife for Isaac. Jacob found there and received a wife. Moses was there, found a wife. Now Jesus is here, and there's a lady. That, so the question is, is that going to be his wife? Is he gonna, are they going to get married? Or are they going to bless the world with other babies, you know? Is that how it's going to go? Well, obviously, no story doesn't happen that way. But what does happen? Spiritual life happens. New life happens. In a way, this woman, this unnamed woman, kind of acts like that. She goes into the city. She tells people who this man is. The Messiah is here. People come. People believe. And they enter the kingdom of God. They become God's children. So instead of having babies to bless the world, it comes through faith. Now the world is growing. The whole Christian community is growing through people coming to the Lord through faith in believing. And for anybody out here, if you have received Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you're part of that. You are part of that. God's family. You're a child of God. And for us, to kind of the, the message here is go tell that story some more. Bring more people into God's family. Let's keep bringing these, these children into God's family. We don't know where they're at. We don't know who they are. But this lady just goes into town and just says, you got to hear this. God has changed my life. She didn't say, here's a good book you got to read. She didn't go say, hey, you know, I got great information. We don't have to worship at a temple anymore. That would have been powerful. I would have been front page news. But she didn't say that either. She says, I need you to hear about the person who knew everything about me, who changed my life. And friends, that call is for us today too. You have this message. If you've received this message already, go pass it on. Don't keep it to yourself. Go share this news. Just share people your story. You can talk about being a born again. You can talk about living water. You can talk about having the bread of life. You can, whatever it is, whatever impacts you, whatever is important for them, share that story. But for those of you who maybe you are not there, you have never received Jesus Christ, today is a day of salvation. That call that Jesus gave is still out there. Come to me. I have a gift. 
The gift is living water. I'll satisfy. Bring to me all the longings of your heart, all the ways that you've been trying to satisfy yourself, all the different gods and idols that you have. Bring them to me. I'll take them. I'm going to give you living water, and that water is going to well up in you with eternal life. That is here for you. Please join me in prayer.